All right, brothers and sisters, let's open God's word together. And I'll ask you to go with me today to the book of Mark, chapter 7, starting in verse 14. Mark 7, verse 14 through 23 is our text today. Give you a moment to get there. Mark 7, 14 through 23. As always, our main text will not be on the screens behind me, so I would encourage you to take out your own copy of Scripture and look at it with us. I think you'll benefit most because we'll uh, refer back to the text time and time again. I think you'll benefit most from having a copy in front of you. And then the other references to other parts of the Bible uh, we will have up on our screen. So you can just stay right there in Mark 7. You'll find them on mugs, greeting cards, Instagram posts, and daily calendars. You'll find them on t-shirts. You'll find them on commercials. You'll even find them in thousands of counseling rooms all across the country. Quotes like these. Everything you need is already inside you. Whatever you are looking for is already inside of you. Or remember the answers that you need are inside of you. You only have to be quiet enough to hear them. The world tells us that our greatest problem is outside of ourselves. And the solution to our problem is within. The Bible says the exact opposite. The exact opposite. Our great problem is inside of us. And the solution comes from the outside. This is what Jesus says today in our text in Mark 7, 14 through 23. I ask you to follow along with me in your copy as I read aloud. This is God's word. Mark writes, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Just to set the scene here for a moment, if you remember last week, Jesus was disputing with the Pharisees because they had a problem with the way he and his disciples were eating. They were eating with unwashed hands. And specifically, we noted last week, this washing was not so much about physical hygiene. It was about ritual cleanliness. Cleanliness. Their their hands were defiled and then they were eating food. And so the Pharisees had a problem. If they were digesting food that was eaten by hands that were ceremonially ceremonially unclean, then, then the food that went into them was unclean, and they themselves were becoming ceremonially ceremonially unclean. And so it is in this context 
that Jesus gathers people around him to teach them what true defilement really is. What is true defilement? What actually defiles a person? And Jesus begins by saying that defilement does not come from the outside. Defilement does not come from outside of us. Look at verse 15 with me again. Jesus says there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. And then look at verse 18 and 19. He says, Do you not see? Whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. And you might have a little footnote in your Bible. Expelled there literally means to go out of your body into a latrine. And so what comes into us, it goes into our stomachs, and then it is expelled out. This is not what defiles a person. Defilement does not come from the outside. Now notice here at the end of verse 19, a very important part of our text today. It's in parentheses in my Bible, and that kind of gives us a hint as to what's going on. Jesus is not speaking. All of a sudden, Mark is coming in and giving his God-inspired, Holy Holy Spirit-inspired interpretation of what Jesus is saying. But this interpretation is just as much God's word as the rest of it. In parentheses at the end of verse 19, it says, thus he declared all foods clean. This is a big deal. This is really important. It's an important moment in the history of the Israelite nation, in the history of believers in God. Jesus has just declared all foods to be clean. If you know your Old Testament, or if you're kind of familiar with it, up until this point, the Israelites were commanded not to eat a number of specific animals. God told them these animals are unclean for you. You are not to take them as food. This goes all the way back to the law of Moses. And if you do, he said, if you do eat these animals, you will become ceremonially unclean. You will become defiled before God and before his people. Now, why would God institute laws like that? Why would God institute laws that says just stay away from certain foods? Well, we suspect, we're not told this explicitly in Scripture, but we suspect that it may have been to prevent the spread of infectious disease when people lived in a big community like that without modern medicine and things like that. But we do know, we're not told that specifically, we suspect it. We do know from Scripture that these laws that God gave the Israelites set them apart from other nations. They were to be different than the nations around them. And these laws of cleanliness and uncleanliness They were symbols of the uncleanliness or the defilement of the heart. They were symbols of what was going on in their hearts. And so there's nothing inherently sinful about bacon or shrimp. Can I get an amen? There's nothing inherently sinful about these things, right? Praise the Lord. But if you really pay attention to to what God says in the Mosaic Law... He never called these things sins. He called them unclean. It's an important distinction. God never says this is sinful. He says this is unclean for you. And that's important because the Pharisees began to equate ritual defilement with sinfulness. And they are not the same. The Pharisees had begun to equate ritual defilement with sinfulness. They're not the same thing. They were never the same thing. One was a symbol of the other, but not the same. In the Old Testament, 
God used food laws and ceremonies and festivals and even animal sacrifices as symbols, as types. It was an outward picture of what happens inside of a person. And that was one of the ways he he revealed himself and his ways and his nature and his character to the Israelites and then eventually to the world. From the very beginning, these laws had an expiration date. From the very beginning, these laws had an expiration date and they met their fulfillment in Jesus. They met their fulfillment in Jesus. Now we can understand the confusion in Jesus' day because up until that point, it had always been this way for the Israelites. It had always been this way. The cleanliness laws, the animal sacrifices. When Jesus shows up on the scene, that's the moment in time when these things begin to change. And so you can understand there's a period of transition where people have to be shepherded through this. It's, it's hard for them to get it immediately. But we understand, looking back, we have the, the beauty and the, the, the benefit of hindsight. These laws always had an expiration date and they met their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. They were always pointing to Jesus and the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate cleanliness that comes from being washed in his blood. The old covenant was focused on outward and physical things. The old covenant, the Israelites' covenant with God. It was do the right things, go to the right place. You even had to have the right nationality or family lineage. But the new covenant that we live under is not focused on outward and physical things, but inward and spiritual things. What is outward and physical in the old covenant becomes inward and spiritual in the new. And so no longer does God dwell in a particular location on the earth. You don't have to make a pilgrimage there to worship him. And no longer does it matter if you're an Israelite or some other nationality. Now we give to God the sacrifice, not of animals, but of thanksgiving and the sacrifice of a heart given over to him. And so all of this means it's about the heart. It's not about what's on the outside. It's about the inside. Jesus is teaching here that pleasing God is not about what you eat or what you don't eat. It's not about what you eat or what you don't eat. As you read your Bibles, as I pray and hope that you do, you will come across very often, especially in the Gospels, Pharisees. Jesus' interaction with these men called Pharisees. And when you see the Pharisees and Jesus interacting with them, here's something to keep in mind. The Pharisees represent all of us. The Pharisees represent all of us. They are not some group of people that is so far removed from us that we can be, be like, well, thank, thank goodness I'm not like that. It's so different from who I am and, and where I live today. No, their problems are our problems because they are problems of human nature. When you you see the Pharisees and all that they're missing and all the ways that that they're not honoring God, their problems are our problems because it's a problem, not of Pharisees, it's a problem of human nature. And so we are still making the same mistakes today that the Pharisees made then. And that's one of the ways that you have to read the Bible. You have to ask yourself, okay, how are we doing this today? How are we tending to focus on the outside while ignoring the inside? Because we often do, do we not? We often focus on the externals and ignore the heart. As a minister, when I talk to people 
about their loved ones who do not walk with the Lord. Here's what I hear. I do not hear, well, I really wish they would come to love Jesus and desire to know him. That's not what I hear people saying. What I hear people saying is, I really wish they would get back in church. I really wish they would get back in church. Brothers and sisters, you can be in church and not know the Lord at all. Being in church is a form of outward obedience. It is important, absolutely. But it is not what we are satisfied with. We cannot be satisfied with the outward obedience of being physically present in a weekly worship gathering. The Pharisees were the most religiously active people in the whole community. And Jesus said they worshipped God in vain. They were God's enemies. And they were always at synagogue. They were always present. They were always doing their duties. And they worshipped the Lord in vain. They were his enemies. And so we, too, can tend to focus on the outward and ignore the heart. We can say things like, well, if, if only they would stop sinning, if only they would stop drinking, if only they would stop living in sexual immorality, if only they would stop fill in the blank. It is true that to follow Jesus, you must forsake sin. That is true. But ridding yourself of sin will not save you. Ridding yourself of sin will not save you. Primarily because you cannot rid yourself of sin. You cannot rid yourself of sin. More on that here in just a moment. It's like a genetic disease. A genetic disease. You can live in a medical bubble and never go outside. And wash everything with soap and disinfect the house and disinfect your body five times a day. But it's not going to matter if you have a genetic disease. The problem is not outside of you. It's inside of you. It's genetic. And in the same way, in the same way, we can retreat from the world all we want. We can become monks. But if your heart has not been changed by Jesus Christ, you will not save yourself. You will still be a slave to sin. Perhaps you will escape the sins of sexual immorality or materialism or coveting. But what you'll do is you'll trade them in for others. You'll trade one group of sin in for others. You'll trade them in for sins like pride, legalism, self-righteousness, judgmentalism. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, Many a man has overcome cowardice or lust or ill temper by learning to think that they are beneath his dignity. That is by pride. The devil laughs. He is perfectly content to see you becoming chaste and brave and self-controlled, provided all the time he is setting you up in the dictatorship of pride just as he would be quite content to see your chillblains cured if he was allowed in return to give you cancer. And so all this means your great problem is not outside of you. Your great problem is not outside of you. It's inside. Which leads us right to our next point. Defilement comes from the inside. Defilement does not come from the outside. It comes from the inside. Hear me on this. 
our great problem is not all the other people out there who are wronging us. Our great problem is not all of the other people out there who are wronging us. But hear me also. Our great problem is also not all of the sins that Jesus lists in verses 21 and 22. That's not our great problem either. Our great problem is not even all of those sins. Our great problem is sin. Our great problem is not sins. It's sin. Do you see the difference? Do you understand the difference? It's not sins. It's sin in the heart. In verses 21 through 22, Jesus lists all of these sins. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. But all of those are symptoms. All of those are symptoms. Notice how Jesus said in our passage, nothing that goes into a person can defile him. What he means is food. Okay, what he's talking about in context is food. And so don't twist this passage, as some have tended to do. Do not twist this passage and say, oh, well, then it doesn't really matter what I do. It doesn't really matter what I do. Right? I'm I'm not going to eat anything that that makes a difference, but also don't read this passage and think, "I, I can look at pornography and I can watch all kinds of ungodly shows and movies and listen to all kinds of ungodly music and it won't matter because nothing that goes into me can defile me. None of that is going to do anything to my soul. You are dead wrong, dead wrong, and you are mainly wrong because you have misinterpreted what is what Jesus has said here. Notice what Jesus says, doing all of those things, like, for example, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is not something you take into yourself. It's something that comes out of you. All of these sins come out of you. They are not what you take in. They are what come out of you. They flow out of your heart. They are actions that spring from a sinful heart. And so all of these are symptoms. They're symptoms on the outside of the inner problem. And if you address only these sins in verses 21 through 22, you will miss the root cause of them all. You miss the root cause. Let's say one day, maybe tomorrow, let's say tomorrow, you begin to experience pain in your side and fever and shortness of breath and all of these strange bumps all over your body. And you go to the doctor. You say, doctor, look at all this stuff. Something is wrong. And the doctor says, here's some Tylenol for your pain. And you need to lie down for your shortness of breath. Don't do any physical activity. And you need to keep the air conditioner way down for your fever. And here's some medicated cream for all of those bumps on your body. And then he says, you're good to go. You're good to go. And you will say, wait a minute. What is wrong with me? Why is this happening? Because he treated the symptoms without even diagnosing the underlying cause. We cannot be satisfied with treatment like that. And in the same way, we cannot be satisfied with just treating the symptoms of a sin-sick, sinful heart. These are not just sins of the flesh. They arise out of a sinful heart. They come from our sinful desires within us. Listen to what James says. Elsewhere in the New Testament, James 4, starting in verse 1, What causes quarrels and fights among you? 
Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. James says right there, murder comes from our sinful desires. But what does he also say? Quarrels and fights. Those also come from our sinful desires within us. The problem is inside of us. And so here's what this means. Implication time. The implication of this is behavior modification is not going to fix our problem. Behavior modification is not going to fix our problem. We can teach our young people all day long, don't drink, don't smoke, don't have premarital sex, don't lie, and on and on. But it won't fix the problem inside of them. You can be self-satisfied and pleased with yourself as a parent that you have raised a respectable young man or woman and all the while they've become a Pharisee, an enemy of God. Remember, you can be in church consistently and not know the Lord at all. There are plenty of good and respectable people in hell. There are plenty of them. And so we cannot be satisfied with a good kid. That's not where the problem is. Behavior modification is not going to fix the problem. And so what this means for us is some of us here today need to repent, not of all the wickedness that we have done, not all of the horrible sins that we have done. Some of us need to repent of our self-righteousness. Some of us need to repent of our self-righteousness. Have you been living as if staying away from all of these sins makes you right with God? It doesn't. It doesn't. All of your good behavior cannot buy you a thing in the kingdom of God. In Luke 17.10, Jesus says this, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And so if you have stayed away, from everything that God prohibited. You have no claim on God's favor because you have only done the base level of what was expected of you. And of course, none of us have even lived up to that standard. And so the problem is our hearts. The problem is our hearts. Defilement comes from within. Your sexual immorality problem is not due to the over-sexualization of our culture. It's a heart problem. Your coveting is not the result of the materialism of our culture. It's a heart problem. Your lying is not the result of all the people around you putting pressure on you. It's a heart problem. The problem is not out there. It's in here. The problem is you. And the problem is me. And here's the bad news. You can't fix your own heart. You cannot fix it. You can't fix your own heart. And so, what can we do? What can we do? 
The cure for our problem comes not from the inside, but from the outside. The cure for our problem comes from the outside. The Pharisees thought that the problem was outside. The problem was outside of us. That defilement was a disease that you catch from the outside. And if they were right, if the Pharisees were right, we could just be holy by means of willpower and self-discipline. By avoiding all of the bad things out there. If the Pharisees were right, that's all it would take. But Jesus says the problem is inside of each one of us. And so on the one hand, this means none of us are safe. None of us are safe. None of us can rest in the fact that we've stayed away from all of those bad things. None of us can take pride or self-righteousness in the fact that we've stayed away from all of these other sins. None of us have kept our hearts clean. None of us are free from sin, no matter how much we've avoided all the bad things out there. We are all defiled. And so on the one hand, there's bad news. On the other hand, there's great freedom in this. There's a great freedom here. Do you see it? There's a great freedom here because you can't be good enough. You cannot be good enough. You can't do enough. And so you can lay that burden down. You can lay that burden down. Because the only way you are ever going to receive God's favor or God's friendship is through the undeserved, unmerited grace of God. You can't do enough. You can't be good enough. So lay that burden down. Don't live and walk in that pressure. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And what he means is this. He means rest from the work of trying to earn God's favor and earn his friendship and earn your salvation. Rest from that in Jesus. Give it up. It's such a wonderfully freeing doctrine that you can't save yourself. You can't earn it. And so this means we all need a cure that is given to us from the outside, that is deeper than anything we can do for ourselves. And the cure is Jesus Christ. The cure is Jesus Christ. Only he can perform this surgery to remove the evil within you. And in fact, he says it's going to take much more than just a surgery. You actually have to die. You're going to have to die. Not physically, spiritually. You're going to have to die. And then you're going to have to be born again. You will have to die and then be born again. This is what's going on every time you witness someone get baptized. They go under the water. Scripture tells us they are dying. That's a death to their old self. And then they come up out of that water and they are raised to newness of life. They are resurrected. They die when they go under that water and they are raised. They are born again. In Ezekiel 36, 26, all the way back in Ezekiel, the Lord promised what he would do in the new covenant. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. But if you're going to get a new heart, you've got to die, right? If you're going to get a heart transplant, you've got to die. Temporarily, you have to die. 
and then you get a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so to do this, it's absolutely difficult and absolutely easy at the same time. This is so simple, a child can do it. But so hard, many adults can't bring themselves to do it. You must cry out to the Lord in humility. You must cry out to the Lord at the end of your rope and say, I cannot save myself. I admit I need to be saved. I am a sinner. I need your forgiveness. And the only way I can get it is if you give it to me as a gift. To come to the Lord and be saved, all you have to do in humility is cry out to him in faith and come through his son, Jesus Christ. And then you submit to him and let him change your heart from the inside. And the rest of the Christian life is lining the outside up with the inside. That's the rest of the Christian life, is lining the outside up with what happened on the inside when you came to Jesus, when you died and rose and were born again. It's so simple, a child can do it. And it's so difficult, there are many, many adults who cannot bring themselves to do it. What about you? Where are you at with all of this? Right now, I want to leave that thought in your heads and in your hearts and ask you to go to the Lord and pray about it and speak to him and respond to him. He has spoken to us. Now we speak to him. I give you this time. We give you this time in individual silent prayer so that every single one of us can respond to God's word that he just laid on our hearts After we do so for a few minutes, we will come back together. We'll have a time of invitation where any of us who need to respond to the Lord publicly can do so. But right now, we all need to respond privately. And so let's do that for just a few moments.